Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained one zero. Because honestly, being a human can be exhausting. You're listening to Unexplained, Season 6, Episode 4, The Widening Gyre, Part 2 of 3. It was already dark as Guy Playfair approached the front gate of 284 Green Street for the first time in the early evening of Monday, 12th of September. A one-faced Peggy greeted him at the door. Though clearly exhausted, she thanked him warmly for coming and promptly showed him through to the kitchen, where, over a cup of tea, she did her best to fill him in on all the mayhem of the last few weeks. Guy was struck immediately by how resolute Peggy was, and how clearly desperate she was to get to the bottom of whatever was going on. If anyone here was in on it, he thought, it certainly wasn't Peggy. Afterwards, Guy was introduced to the children in the living room. 13-year-old Margaret and 7-year-old Billy both sat quietly together on the sofa, while in contrast, 11-year-old Janet seemed unable to sit still. And when Guy asked her to describe all that had happened in the last 12 days, he could barely keep up as the words tumbled fast out of her mouth. Then, Daily Mirror photographer Graham Morris stepped in to introduce himself and was soon regaling Guy with his own stories about all the peculiar things he'd witnessed so far, though sadly, as he explained, he was yet to capture any of the bizarre activity on film. Then later, away from the family, he told Guy a little more about what he'd seen. As Maurice Gross had also noticed, whatever was happening, he thought, seemed to be centred around Janet, but also 
Though much of the activity took place at night in the bedrooms, nothing significant seemed to happen unless everybody except family members were out of the room at the time, all of which sounded more than a little suspect to Guy. Later that night, Guy and Graham took their places on the landing outside the bedrooms, primed for any unusual activity. While inside the second bedroom, where Janet and Margaret were sleeping, a camera and flash had been rigged up to a shutter release cable that Graham could hold outside the door, allowing him to take a picture the moment anything strange took place. When they were satisfied the girls were asleep, Guy whispered just loud enough to be heard from inside the bedrooms that he and Graham should head back downstairs. Taking his cue, Graham promptly made his way down, making sure to tread on each step twice, while Guy remained stationed outside the bedroom door. After waiting a moment, Guy stepped silently into the doorway of Janet and Margaret's bedroom and poked his head into the room. As his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he could just about make out the girls and their eyes now tightly closed, as if in deep sleep. But when the sound of Graham shutting the living room door came up from downstairs, Janet opened her eyes suddenly and slowly lifted her head from the pillow. She hadn't been sleeping at all. After seemingly catching Janet out, Guy headed downstairs to tell Peggy and Graham what he'd seen. Despite their disappointment, it was agreed not to mention it to Janet, partly because Peggy didn't want to upset her, but also, since it didn't confirm anything necessarily, they didn't want to unduly influence any later behaviour by revealing their suspicions about her. Later that night, Graham was unable once again to capture anything definitive when a marble was found to have dropped to the floor just inside the bedroom door. Deciding to up the ante, he returned the following day with even more equipment, swiftly rigging up two more cameras and flash guns in Janet's room. As Janet prepared for bed, Graham attempted a quick test run of the new setup, but when he pressed the shutter release button, None of the flashes went off. That's weird, he said, as he examined each of them. All three had been fully charged before he brought them into the room. Now all of them were completely drained of power. The following day, Morris Gross, who'd been ill at home with a cold, rejoined Guy at the house. Over the next week, with each taking notes and making tape recordings of the various goings-on. Together, they recorded numerous unusual events, from the constant knocking on walls to the shaking of beds, as well as the now ever-constant barrage of marbles, Lego and furniture being flung about the place. What was particularly strange about the marbles, according to Morris, was the way they would often just fall from the air, and stick to the floor like magnets, not bouncing once. And soon, though he still had his doubts about Janet, 
with the sheer number of incidents taking place, Guy too began to come round to the notion that something truly strange was taking place in the Hodgson's home, and all of it was entirely consistent with supposed poltergeist activity. On September 19th, Guy helped the Hodgsons clear out their third bedroom so he could spend the night there himself. Though the first night was relatively tame, by the second, things got a little bit more interesting. With a small metal chair in Janet's room being repeatedly knocked over by an apparently invisible force, Guy decided to tie it to her bed with some garden wire. Only moments later, however, with Guy back out on the landing, he heard it tumble over again. Back inside the bedroom, Janet and Margaret appeared to be fast asleep, while the chair was once again on its side, having been seemingly tossed into the middle, and the wire tying it to the bed had completely snapped off. Peggy joined Guy in the room as he picked up the chair and placed it once again next to the bed, this time making sure to wrap more wire around it to keep it firmly in place. With it secured once more, Peggy stayed upstairs as Guy headed back down. Moments later, another loud scuffle was heard coming from Janet's room. Rushing back up, Guy found a stunned Peggy pointing to an armchair that had now been seemingly pushed over in the corner. I saw it move by itself, said Peggy, in startled disbelief. The pair of them then returned downstairs, only for yet another crash to be heard coming from the bedroom. Rushing up once more, Guy struggled to comprehend the scene before him. Now the bed had been wrenched away from the wall, while in the middle of the room lay that small metal chair, once again ripped free from its wire restraints, as if something had pulled at it so hard it had pulled the bed out with it before being eventually ripped free from the wire. Stepping back outside, Guy suddenly noticed one of the children's books was now lying in the doorway of the third bedroom. He picked it up and read the title with a wry smile. Fun and Games for Children, it read. Listening back to a recording of the event, Guy marvelled at how each thing seemed to happen simultaneously, from the scraping of the bed, to the thud of the chair on the floor, to the sound of the book whizzing through the air, before clattering to the ground. And not once did he hear the creak of floorboards, or the sound of footsteps. Look at your pillow, Mum, came Janet's voice suddenly from out of the tape machine, referring to the bed that Peggy had made up for herself in the room that had yet to be used that day. A shallow impression had suddenly appeared in it, as if a small ghostly child had rested its head there for just the briefest of moments. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. 
Sign up today and start communicating in less than 48 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can also log into your account anytime to send a message to your counsellor. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, nor self-help. It is professional counselling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available. And with BetterHelp's commitment to facilitating great therapeutic matches, they make it especially easy and free to change counsellors to help you find the right fit. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and unexplained listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained. That's betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Not long after the event with the book, Guy was sent running back to the children's bedroom for a fourth time that night, when Margaret screamed out suddenly for her mum after a heavy chest of drawers was tipped over. This time, however, when listening back to the tape, Guy could clearly hear the soft sound of footsteps over the carpet just before it happened. Though Janet claimed later she'd heard them too in the darkness, Guy wasn't so sure. With Morris returning the following day, he and Guy agreed that they needed something more substantial than audio tape recordings and Graham Morris's near-miss photographs if they were going to convince anyone that the poltergeist activity was genuine. After making a few calls in the morning, Morris managed to convince a team of video experts from Cambridge to come down to Enfield and try and capture the bizarre activity for themselves. That afternoon, Morris took a moment to himself in the kitchen when he was distracted by a strange clanging sound. The metal teapot next to the stove was now rocking slowly from side to side of its own accord. Morris stood mesmerised, watching it for a good seven seconds when it suddenly stopped. A short time later, the video team, led by a Ron Denny, arrived at the property and swiftly got to work installing their top-of-the-range Nuvicon camera in Janet's bedroom, which was then connected by cable to a recording deck and monitor in the living room. With everything ready to go, Ron switched on the monitor, and a soft-colour image flashed up on the screen of Janet lying in bed, her head resting on a bright orange pillow, and her eyes closed shut. Right, here we go then, said Ron as he switched on the recorder, when suddenly all the lights on the device flashed on at once. That's strange, said Ron, that's never happened before. Ron tried pressing various buttons, but nothing seemed to work, and when he tried to eject the tape, it stayed resolutely in the machine. With a sigh, Ron pulled out some screwdrivers and promptly set about taking the whole thing apart. When they were finally able to extract the tape, they found it had become wrapped and jammed around an internal sprocket. Almost as Guy and Morris couldn't help thinking, as if something invisible 
had deliberately tampered with it. Though Ron and his team finally got the tape deck to work again, after filming for five hours straight, they saw nothing untoward, just as it was the next three times they returned to the house. To Guy and Morris, the explanation was obvious. The poltergeist, or whatever it was, seemed to know exactly what they were up to, and would only act if it knew it couldn't be seen. Not knowing what they were dealing with exactly didn't help matters, though at this point, both Morris and Guy favoured the two main possibilities, that either Janet was unwittingly exerting her own paranormal force, or it was all an elaborate hoax. But then came something entirely new. It was late in September that Peggy's brother John was visiting the family, when, after heading into the hallway, he stopped suddenly at the foot of the stairs. As he recalled it later, from out of nowhere, a strange 12-inch strip of light appeared suddenly hanging in the air at the top of the stairs. Soft and fuzzy, as if he were seeing it through frosted glass. He watched it for a good few seconds, then moments later, it vanished completely. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to John, at roughly the same time, the Hodgson's neighbour, Vic Nottingham, was out in his garden when he was suddenly distracted by a movement in the Hodgson's top floor window that looked directly over the top of the stairs. Though he couldn't be sure, he was almost certain that for a split second he saw the ghostly image of an elderly grey-haired lady standing on the landing. Back at his home, after another few weeks of the same banging and flying objects, but still with nothing concrete to show for it, Guy fixed himself a drink and took a seat in his study. Grabbing the tape recorder from his desk, he rewound the tape, then pressed play. Guy sipped his drink as the strains of Escape from Planet of the Apes could be heard emanating brashly from the TV while the family chatted quietly amongst themselves. It was a recording of the Hodgson family at home alone from the evening before that Guy had made in secret after leaving the house to get something to eat, when suddenly a huge bang rang out. What was that? said Margaret. Moments later, a tremendous crash was heard from the back of the room, followed by the sound of Margaret screaming and Peggy urging them all not to panic. I was just about to sit on it when it fell over, said Janet out of nowhere. After a further flurry of activity, Janet could be heard running to the window suddenly, her words just audible on the tape. Hurry up, Mr Playfair, wherever you are. Guy stopped the tape and took another sip of his drink. It wasn't conclusive necessarily, but at the very least he thought, it was hard to deny that certainly in this instance, no one was deliberately putting on a show for him. By mid-October, 
The activity had become increasingly violent, with large pieces of furniture like the family's sofa and kitchen table being routinely upended. And as ever, Janet was almost always nearby at the time. Worried that she might be being targeted by a malicious spirit, Guy decided it was time to try something else. After consulting a friend, he was put in touch with two self-described mediums who agreed to take a look at the house and see what they could do. In Playfair's 1980 book about the case, This House is Haunted, the true story of the Enfield poltergeist, the pair were given the pseudonyms Annie and George Shaw. They arrived at the Hodgson's home the following day. After taking some time to speak with the family, with Margaret and Billy away, they asked for Janet, Peggy, Guy and Morris to gather with them in the living room, while Annie took a seat on a chair in the middle of the room and George took a seat nearby. Then Annie closed her eyes and began to sway slightly as George recited a prayer for peace, when suddenly he asked out loud if the spirit could see him. Go away, screamed Annie in a strange raspy voice, causing them all to jump. Then a horrible cackle exploded from her lips. Raising his voice, George demanded the entity stop what it was doing immediately, only for Annie, now seemingly possessed, to spit in his face. Unperturbed, George kept up his demands for the spirit to leave, until finally, Annie's face suddenly relaxed and she opened her eyes. After the bizarre session was over, Annie explained that two spirits, named Gozer and Elvie, had become dangerously attached to Peggy and Janet and were draining their auric power. Though Peggy and Janet didn't quite know what to make of it, both agreed to Annie and George's offer to clean their auras, which, if nothing else, seemed to have a calming effect on the pair of them. Sadly, however, it wasn't to last. For Janet especially, who'd started a new school in the time since the strange events began, things were beginning to exert a heavy toll. At times, she'd often be so tired that she couldn't even make it to school. Later in October, a meeting was called by concerned staff to speak with Guy and Morris about their investigation. A social worker and two welfare psychologists were also invited to discuss the best cause of action for her. In the end, it was agreed that the family should take a week's holiday together to Clacton-on-Sea, paid for by the council, to see if it could help to calm things down. Before long, however, things began to take a more sinister turn. One night, while Guy was downstairs in the living room, Janet let out a blood-curdling scream from the bedroom. When Guy ran in to check on her, he found her gasping for breath. It was trying to stop me breathe, she said. I could feel its hand over my mouth. When it happened again a short time later, Guy rushed back into the room to find the armchair had now been toppled over and a deeply distressed Janet sitting upright in bed. There was a man sitting on it, she said, 
between sobs. A few days later, after spending another night with the family, Guy was woken by an ominous thud coming from Janet's bedroom, followed by the sound of screams and Peggy racing out of the room in terror. Rushing in to investigate, Guy could only stare in disbelief at the peculiar sight before him. The entire frame of the room's gas fire that had been cemented into the wall was now lying in the middle of the carpet in a pile of dust. The brass pipe that connected it to the mains, still sticking out the back of it, bent at an angle of 30 degrees. There was nothing for it, thought Guy. It was time they made contact with whatever this was before someone got killed. The following night, with the family now gathered in the main bedroom, since none of them wanted to sleep in the other room anymore, Guy explained his simple plan. As soon as any knocking from the apparent poltergeist was heard, he would attempt to communicate with it by knocking back in reply. As the Hodgsons bedded down together above, Guy was joined in the living room by Peggy's brother John, where together they sat waiting for the first hint of knocking. And before long, it had begun. It was strange, thought John, as they tried to establish where each of the knocks were coming from. Although they seemed to be coming from above, in the vicinity of the main bedroom, they also seemed to be coming from numerous parts of the ceiling at the same time. Even stranger was that despite the floor above being carpeted, the knocks sounded as though they were actually happening underneath, as if knocking directly onto the floorboards. Upstairs, the family could hear it too. Right, shouted Guy from below, I'm going to knock back. Cover your head, shouted Peggy suddenly to Billy, just in time as a slipper came flying at him through the air. Shh, said Janet, let's see if it answers. Then, after two sturdy knocks from Guy below, came the steady reply. Knock, knock, knock. It's answering, said Margaret with excitement. Back downstairs, Guy spoke into the air. Why are you here? His question was followed by a flurry of knocks ringing out from above. Guy smiled with satisfaction. Contact had been made. In early November... The family returned, refreshed and energised from their much-needed break to Clacton-on-Sea. For Peggy, however, it was bittersweet. Though she couldn't remember the last time they'd all been so happy, she was suddenly overcome with sadness on the train home at the thought of what they were heading back to exactly. She was soon put at ease by Morris and Guy, however, with their belief that they were finally getting somewhere after Guy's successful attempt to make contact the week before. That night, when the knocking started up again, it was Morris's turn to ask the questions. As the children got ready for bed, 
Morris took his place in the bedroom, while just outside the door, Guy laid down on the landing, with his ear pressed to the linoleum floor. Then, after satisfying himself that the children weren't responsible, Morris began. Now remember, he said, it's one knock for no and two for yes. Did you die in this house? Knock, knock, came the reply. Will you go away? Knock. How many years did you live here? Ten? Knock. More than twenty? Knock, knock. Next, Morris asked it to tap out how many years ago it moved away. Fifty-three knocks came back in return. Did you die that year? he asked. Knock, knock. Are you having a game with me? Just then, a box full of cushions flew up from beside the fireplace, hitting Morris on the head. A few days later, Guy invited his friend, physicist Eduardo Balanovsky, to the house to conduct a series of tests using equipment designed to measure apparent variations in the magnetic field. After setting it up for the night in Janet's bedroom, unusual fluctuations were recorded when a number of items were suddenly thrown about the room. However, the findings proved inconclusive. Later that night, things then took a further sinister turn when Margaret was heard crying out for help from the stairs. When Morris and Peggy rushed through to help, they found her seemingly unable to move. It's holding my leg, she cried in horror. It was, as Morris said later, as if she'd been glued to the spot, and only after considerable effort were they able to free her. Early the following morning, Janet was found on the bedroom floor, claiming to have been thrown out of her bed. In what quickly became a new recurring incident, over the next few days, Janet was found repeatedly on the floor of her bedroom, each time claiming that she was pulled out of bed by an invisible force. On November 15th, with no sign of any let-up from the apparent haunting, Peggy Hodgson collapsed from exhaustion, after which she was ordered to rest at her brother's home for a few days while the children were taken into care. With the family out of the house for a few days, Guy made a second attempt to find out more about the apparent entity with the help of another self-described medium. However, much to Guy's surprise, she failed to sense anything there at all. Early in the morning of Saturday, November 26th, Peggy and Vic Nottingham were woken up by a violent knocking coming from the Hodgson's home, only realising afterwards that the place was completely empty at the time. Later that day, with Peggy rested and the children back from the care home, Peggy arranged for Margaret and Billy to stay with their uncle, while she and Janet went back to number 284, accompanied by Morris 
and photographer Graham. Guy was visiting Margaret and Billy that evening when Peggy suddenly burst into the house, telling him to come quickly. Guy could hear Janet's screams from four doors away as he rushed toward the house. Running into the bedroom, he found Janet flailing wildly and screaming for Peggy. With Janet seemingly unresponsive to the fact that Peggy was right there with her, her distraught mother could only watch on helplessly as Morris and Graham did their best to pin Janet down before she hurt herself. A doctor was promptly called, who arrived just after 11pm, and without even examining her, simply gave Janet a shot of Valium. With the 10 milligram dose being thought more than enough to send her to sleep, Peggy and Morris tucked her back into bed and left her to sleep it off. 30 minutes later, after hearing yet another crash from the bedroom, they all rushed back up to find Janet in her nightclothes, perched up high on top of a radio set in the corner of the room, completely unconscious. We often talk about how the advent of streaming has revolutionised the way we engage with audio and visual content, placing countless numbers of films, TV shows and music tracks at our fingertips. But did you know this has also been happening for books too? Described as the Netflix for books, Scribd is quite simply the largest digital library in the world and all of it accessible from your favourite device. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of e-books, audiobooks, magazines and more. As a user myself, Scribd has been invaluable for me as a resource, giving me access to a huge range of sources that have helped inform many of the stories featured on Unexplained. Enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book and discover must-read new work from celebrated authors like Roxane Gay, Charles Yu and more, premiering exclusively on Scribd. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to tryscribd.com slash unexplained for your free trial. That's T-R-Y-S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash unexplained to get 60 days of script for free. Over the next few days, Janet continued to drift in and out of trance-like states while also appearing to be continually flung out of her bed. A further trip to the hospital resulted in a psychiatric assessment that found nothing wrong with the young girl. As the strange trances continued, however, Guy felt compelled to turn once more to a pair of self-described mediums who he'd met during his time in Brazil for help. As Guy wrote in his book, Janet was resting on the sofa in the living room when Luis and Elsie arrived to begin their session. While the pair headed upstairs to one of the bedrooms to consult their spirit guides, Janet became suddenly restless and fell off the sofa, then started to kick and writhe about on the floor. Hearing the commotion, Louise and Elsie quickly burst into the room and held Janet down as Louise urged her to resist the entity. When suddenly, Janet opened her eyes as if nothing had happened. The next morning, while Janet apparently dozed in and out of sleep on the sofa, Peggy watched with alarm 
when at one point she took hold of a pad and some colouring pens and began to draw a series of pictures in quick succession. Peggy gasped when she saw them. One showed what she took to be a woman with blood drawn crudely in red felt-tip pen pouring out of her throat and the name Wilkins written in large letters across the bottom. Another was simply the word blood written several times over and over again on the page. With Janet seeming not to notice, Peggy took them away as soon as they were drawn and handed them to Guy and Morris when they arrived at the house later that afternoon. With Peggy at a loss to explain it all, Guy asked her to think about anyone they might know called Wilkins. Of course, she said, suddenly remembering. The couple who lived in the house before them were called Wilkins. And did they die here? asked Guy. The husband did, I think, but not the wife, said Peggy. She died in a house up the road. And what did she die of exactly? asked Guy, looking down at the picture of the woman and the blood gushing from her throat. Then Peggy's face dropped. She died of throat cancer, she said. As winter began to bite outside, by early December, things had never been worse inside 284 Green Street. By now, Janet and Margaret too were seemingly being constantly wrenched from their beds by unknown forces, sometimes up to ten times a night. In the early morning of December 3rd, Morris was in the living room with Peggy when yet another loud crash from upstairs had them racing to the bedroom to check on Janet, but she was nowhere to be found. Running back onto the landing, Morris gasped in horror when he spotted her, bizarrely, lying face down on the stairs, slowly sliding to the bottom of them, as if something were pulling her down. Margaret, too, was now having her own strange episodes, having taken to sitting up suddenly in bed from time to time, despite appearing to be completely asleep. On one occasion, Morris took the opportunity to slip a pencil into her hand to see if she might do anything with it. Then she proceeded to write the numbers 1 to 10 on a piece of paper. With Margaret still appearing to be asleep, Morris asked her to explain what the numbers meant. Then, as also detailed in Playfair's book, she replied, One was a baby, two a little girl, three was a big girl, four a girl about fifteen, five an old lady, six a young boy, seven a boy of eighteen, and eight was an old man. Then she paused. Nine, I don't know, she said. He hasn't got a face. And ten has gone away now. Then suddenly, without warning, she shouted the name, Joe Wilkins. Who's that? asked John, who was also present that night. 
The man who died on the chair downstairs, replied Margaret, not once opening her eyes. Then, without saying another word, she lay back down and settled back to sleep. You've been listening to Unexplained, Series 6, Episode 4, The Widening Gyre, Part 2 of 3. The third and final part will be released next Friday, November 12th. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.